In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Your family, too, two quick little things. We know St. Paul was given incredible grace. Certainly our Lord spoke to him, why are you persecuting me? But as many times as we've read or heard this epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, I mean, he he states it crystal clearly that our Lord was seen by so many individually or in a group of at least 500. But then he says this, and this is just such a profound thing. And last of all, he was seen also by me. Now I knew, I knew our Lord had appeared to him, but there it is, black and white. Either we believe the sacred scriptures or we don't. There it is. Our Lord appeared to him. I just, that's so amazing. See, the second thing is, uh, our reflection today is going to be in conjunction with our reflection last week. So there's a, a different gospel passage I want you to keep in mind, and that's of the Canaanite woman who met, came to see our Lord in, in Tyre and Sidon when he was there and begged him to cure her daughter who had been suffering from a demon. And that's that famous passage where he said, well, we don't, I came to the children of Israel, the lost sheep, which is, which is something in and of itself. Remember, he didn't say, I came to the sheep of Israel who weren't lost. No, he said they were lost. Uh, and so it's not right to throw the food to the dogs. Remember, remember that passage. And then remember she said, well, even the dogs eat the scraps from the master's table. So that's the passage that relates well to last week that I'm going to be uh, meditating upon today. Before we do, dear family, I have something funny to tell you, something that you wouldn't know because you wouldn't have been here at the ordinary form three years ago. This is in the ordinary form, the 20th in the Novus Ordo, the 20th Sunday of Cycalea, a once every three or three years sort of a thing. So I look back when I was preparing for the Novus Ordo. I look back three years ago to see what we had pondered way back then so that I, I wouldn't repeat any thoughts and ideas. It's kind of a ridiculous way for me to approach things, I suppose, because I don't remember what I said yesterday. So how can I expect anyone sitting out there to remember what I said three years ago? But there you have it. I just thought, well, okay, let's take a fresh look at the sacred scriptures, make sure I don't repeat myself, ponder something anew. And I, when I look back three years ago, what I discovered was that it was at a time when Mr. Liebert and, and a couple of his cronies had asked me to add a third Holy Mass on Sunday in the traditional form. I said, yes, didn't know what I was getting myself into. But it meant, so I was telling the people this, I was trying to break them into the fact that I had to change the Mass time. So I said, instead of us just having Masses at 7.30 and at 10, that I was going to have to change the 10 to 9.30. Now, they tell you in seminary that the worst thing you can do to annoy people is change Mass time. So I approached it with caution. I tried to prepare them for this necessity that I was going to have to change the 10 to 9.30 so that we could pack in the three Holy Masses Sunday morning by adding the 11 in the traditional form. So here's the funny bit. When I talked about that three years ago, I specifically said that in order to pack three Holy Masses into Sunday morning instead of just two, I was going to have to start having shorter homilies. 
Obviously, that didn't happen. This is why back in the sacristy, well, you know, we were having it at 11, and then this whole sanitization of the universe thing came on us. But back in the sacristy, we used to jokingly but truthfully refer to the 11 o'clock traditional form of the Holy Mass as the 1110 Holy Mass. I'm trying, dear family. I am. I'm trying. But as I said many times before, and we'll have to keep saying again and again, these are desperate times. These aren't times for meditations and platitudes and pablum. Desperate times call for desperate measures and whatever else may be said about anything I've done. One thing I know you know, dear family, all glory be to God is that I did not abandon you. Second funny thing that relates to that is uh, yesterday I triple booked myself so I wasn't able to join the, the servers on the canoe trip. And instead I went to Chippewa Falls. It's 15 miles the other side of Eau Claire uh, because some deacon candidates, uh, there were eight of them and their wives were having a little retreat to begin the next year. One of them I knew, I'd known for 12 years because he's from Peter and Paul. He's the one that invited me, kind of made arranged all the things. And, uh, but the other seven deacons-to-be and their wives were not so familiar with me. <laughs> so I gave them Our Lady of Fatima's homily from yesterday. And as I do, I kind of throw in a whole bunch of other stuff as the Spirit moves me. <laughs> I think I love some of them shell-shocked. It was, but it was amazing. It was grace-filled. It was holy. That's what we do, dear family. We learn our faith. We study our faith so we can grow stronger in our faith, more so importantly now than ever in these crazy times. So let's look at the, the gospel passage of that woman of great faith as she approaches our Lord and tries to get him to cure her daughter. And Jesus looked at the woman who was pleading for her daughter's health. Remember, the apostles already tried to shoo her away. Lord, tell her to go away. And our Lord looked at her and said, after she pleaded again with him, O woman, great, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. Well, in contrast to what we heard last Sunday, remember, when St. Peter, he got out of the boat, he started sinking beneath the waves because he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm all around him and our Lord had to reach out his hand to save him. And remember what, remember what Jesus said to Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And yet in this gospel passage that we heard today, our Lord said just the opposite. A woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. So as the storms are raging all around us now, in ways most people, the many, the blind sheep, cannot even see or understand. As we ponder the storms, which are getting worse, they're not getting better, they're not going to get better. As we ponder the growing number of the blind leading the blind, as we ponder the growing number of the many, we use the term sheeples, who step right into line without question and do whatever some fallible human says to do, and attack and attack those who are not sheeples, who have not drunk the Kool-Aid. Your family, as we, as we look at all that is going on around us, 
through the eyes of Catholic faith. Question we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be like Peter? Take our eyes off of Jesus. Are we going to give a witness of faith so powerful as a Canaanite woman who even endured rebukes so much so that our Lord said to her, a woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. But her family, forgive me forever for, for the way I constantly urge you to fill your lamps with oil, to feed and nurture your faith every which way you can. Firstly, because, watch, if you really want to get a prayer answered, if you really want Almighty God to intervene in the natural world, to do something supernatural, I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? God, listen, I got a prayer request here. I want you to supernaturally intervene in my little natural problems that I'm experiencing. Fix my problems, Lord. Supernaturally intervene. That's what we're doing. So if we, if we want God to intervene in the natural world and do something supernatural, look at the persistence of that woman in the gospel who withstood rebukes. And then look at how our Lord evaluated her faith. So that's the first reason why we need to fill our lamps with oil and feed and nurture our faith daily. But secondly, we have to do that because our eternal soul is at stake. And we're going to know where we stand little litmus test. We're going to know where we stand when the challenge to comply with secular government comes to your workplace, to your kids' schools, to your front door. For example, front door. Remember that apocryphal story I told you just a couple weeks ago where some co-worker at a restaurant allegedly tested positive for COVID-19. Now, you know, you can have the common cold and test positive. They've had 5 million positive tests, but they readily admit that at least 25% of them, are, it's overstated. Some co-worker tests positive, and every other co-worker was told to go on quarantine for 14 days. Put them on quarantine. Put them out of work. Shut down the business. Go on quarantine. They don't even know that they're sick. They have no proof that they have been sick. Now we're quarantining the healthy. But you remember how a mother of two children was commanded by Nazi-like bureaucrats in the local health department to comply with this quarantine, or the health department would come to her house with the police. Your family, I've told you before, and amen, I tell you again, I literally have studied Nazism and the Russian error since eighth grade. I once, true story, I once, I checked out a particular book on World War II so many times. Do you remember the days, you are older, you'll remember this, when we had to sign, sign our name, we had to put our signature on the little checkout card that was, was in the pocket on the inside cover. And I remember once on this particular book, I was embarrassed because I, I checked it out so many times, I'd filled up the card with my signature and, and had to replace it with a new one. Well, dear family, too many too many laity and clergy alike either have drunk the Kool-Aid or have not put oil in their lamps and cannot see what is developing rapidly all around us, the Nazi-like, the Russian error-like rule of godless bureaucrats. So let us 
now that this time actually has come upon us, just like our blessed mother warned us about, let us not fear. Let us never fear. For our time on earth is short, but eternity is a very long time indeed. Let us not fear so that we can stand up like that woman in the gospel and be faithful. And the thing is, when the massiveness of the evil begins to do its worst, when the problem of evil gets so overwhelming, so daunting, that's a good word for it, daunting, when the storms wrench out our eyes away from Jesus, like it did to even St. Peter. Listen, who of us thinks that we have the stamina, the faith of St. Peter, and yet his, he took his eyes away from Jesus? Who of us thinks we're not vulnerable to what's going on in the world? That's foolishness. Wow, that's a little too much faith in our own resources. If Peter can fall, we can fall. If Peter can deny Jesus three times, we can. Just wait till the Nazis come to your door. We have to fill our lands with oil. When the, when the storm gets fierce and we're tempted like Peter to take our eyes off of Jesus and worry about the storm, here's a way to hit the reset button and turn your eyes back upon the real Jesus, the King of Kings, who even endured the crown of thorns. What a, what a kingly crown that was. The Lord of Lords who even endured Calvary, but rose to glory accordingly. Here's a way to hit the reset button. The thing to always remember and never forget that Jesus is bigger than all of human sin Put together. I think St. Teresa of Calcutta said that one drop of his precious blood would wash away every sin of every man since the beginning of time. Well, it's not easy to wrap our minds around that bigness, just how big Jesus is. Here's a, a way you can really get a sense of it whenever you fly out of some major airports. This, ha this happened to me several times. It was like a, a spiritual meditation when you're driving to the airport often through or near a big city like jfk in new york or o'hare in chicago or lax in la there are lots and lots of huge tall buildings everywhere they obscure your vision lots and lots of people everywhere all of which makes you feel really tiny and powerless overwhelmed but then you take off Get a window seat, you take off and you look out the window and the entire downtown of a big city like Chicago is below you. And all those really tall buildings and all those millions of people, they now look really, really small. In fact, if you, if you hold your thumb out a few inches from the whole window, it's almost as if you could squash the whole city with your thumb, all those buildings, all those people, squashed. The point, dear family, is that it is that it all is about perspective. When we are down on the ground, our perspective of all around us is that we are tiny and it is big and we are powerless from this from the perspective high in the air, we are big 
And the city is so small, you could squash it with your thumb. It's all about perspective, all about what we see from our vantage point, from on the ground or high above the ground in the air. So now, dear family, in these desperate times, let us look at them from Almighty God's perspective, from his vantage point, higher than high, above it all. What would happen if Almighty God, from his vantage point, took his thumb and just put an end to all the nonsense, all the evil, in one little move? Bye-bye, planet Earth, the sun, the Milky Way galaxy. The family sacred scripture recounts those times when whole societies fell into a state of lack of faith fell into a state of evil, a state of great sin, and cataclysm came. Jesus, our Lord, talked about it, how cataclysms came when people absolutely did not even expect it. He warned us about it. And human history is replete with such instances of such things. So let's conclude our meditation by pondering something I've, I've never talked about in a homily before in 12 years. <clears throat> Schindler's List. Now, probably all of you remember, at least that there was a movie. There was a book as well. I didn't know that. Uh, a movie about what happened back then to the Jews under Hitler's Nazi regime. We all know that there was up to six million Jews exterminated in World War II. That's the number we've been given. Interestingly, Stalin of the Russian era exterminated 7 million Ukrainians in about two to three to four months during the winter of, I think it was 1932, 1933. But you never hear about that, do you? Why? Because the Ukrainians don't own Hollywood. So, of course... Schindler's List gets 12 Oscar nominations, which was the all-time record. I think something just got 13. Schindler's List gets 12 Oscar nominations and wins seven of them, including all the biggies. Best Picture, for instance. But, in contrast, <clears throat> the Catholic movie, The Passion of Christ, not only had difficulty getting distribution, but nevertheless had all kinds of sales records. It only got three nominations, none of which are considered the big ones, like Best Picture. And in fact, it did not win even any of those three minor ones. Why? Because Catholics don't own Hollywood. In fact, there recently was a Hollywood picture that blasted the entire Catholic Church. It was called Spotlight, about the abuse scandal in Boston. Lo and behold, it won Best Picture. Imagine that. Let's just rip on the whole Catholic Church for the sins of a few, for something <clears throat> that a small percentage of shepherds did. Never mention the fact, never show a movie about the fact, that St. Faustina warned the Jews in Warsaw to quit performing abortions. It was a center in Europe. People flew in from everywhere to perform, to get their abortions. Warsaw absolutely got leveled. 
in World War II, as opposed to Krakow, where St. Faustina was. The Germans came and they kind of split, didn't touch the city. When the Russians came back the other way, they got to Krakow, they went around it. Old Krakow was as beautiful now as it was then. Warsaw, the center of abortions, got crushed. And let us not forget that Jesus went through his passion and was crucified in Jerusalem. And a little over 30 years later, Jerusalem was leveled to the ground. There are some inconvenient truths in all of this. Maybe we should be very concerned about is where the abortions being performed in the United States. We're a little in too, too close proximity to that place a block up the street, the most racist, you've heard me say it, the single most racist, horrifically racist, white privileged place on the face of this planet is Planned Parenthood. Well, we don't want to take anything away from Schindler's List because it was a true story. And it was a story of courage and valor. And we all should be uplifted by Schindler's courage and valor. He owned and operated a, a factory in Krakow, Poland. And when he came to understand, he was a Nazi himself, but when he came to understand what the Nazis actually were doing, he started making a list. Put names on the list, Jewish names on the list, who were saved because they were being listed as not Jews. And if you go to Krakow, you actually can tour his factory. I didn't know that. It's now a museum. Last time I was there, I was able to go. It's like an Ikea. You go in one door and you just keep going through and going through until you get to the end. Now, if you go through room after room of the museum, you're overwhelmed by the evil it reveals. When you get to the end, you walk into the very last room. You, don't even, you can't see it coming. And I think it's his office. There's a desk just there by itself in the middle. And there on the desk is this typewriter with which he typed his list. It is a stunning and profound moment. In these desperate times, though, to help you understand how unaware most people are, how low information most people are, I want to talk about another room in the museum. It's a room I just have named the August 31st room. Because you go, as you're going through, you, you get to this room, and, it's, and it is dated. Everything in it is dated for August 31st. So they have, like, newspaper clippings on the wall. They have a pictures of the day. They have little memos written by people about August 31st, what they were doing on August 31st. Of course, if you know anything about the history, you know what's coming the very next day, and it was such a normal day, August 31st. 
All they knew, the Germans were being a little belligerent. But on August 31st, nobody saw what was coming. And it came quickly, didn't it? The Blitzkrieg, the very next day, September 1st. And that's the next room you go into. Your family. There are way too many people out there living their lives like August 31st. And they won't be ready when September 1st hits. So fill your lamps with oil. Fill your lamps with oil so that when it hits, when it hits and you turn to your heavenly father and ask him to intervene in a supernatural way, you'll say, my dear child, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.